0: This OPi podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and/or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID nineteen. The Car Guys Report, informed automotive, is up next. But first, take a listen to this other fine OPi show.
1: I'm Anusha Men with Rick and Dave. We welcome 2021 with an Obama era vaccine of worthless information. Flashback to my very first time ever with Dave podcasting together as we socially distanced years before it became a trend. Listen to Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts, just search for Radio Misfits. The following is a
0: Tony Lasano podcast, an opi show on the Radio Misfits podcast network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable, and this is another exciting episode of the Car Guys Report informed automotive and uh, Lou got a couple of uh, uh, fun things. Well, I don't know if one of them is not necessarily fun, but I'll start uh, our open little bit of open discussion that we always have at the top of each show. Our uh, listening universe through the uh, Radio Misfits podcast network and the Car Guys Report continues to expand. I'm happy to report that we are now have listeners in the fine country of Spain So, yeah, I wanted to say bienvenido to our Spanish listeners. That means welcome in Spanish. Certainly appreciate uh, having you along for the ride. And actually, Spain has kind of a neat history of uh, automobile manufacturing. The Hispano Suiza were just magnificent cars back in the uh, 20s and 30s. Pagaso was uh, a very limited production, high end uh, kind of sports GT car that appeared for a couple of years in the early 50s. And, of course, the brand is Seat. It looks like Seat. But it's spelled S E A T, just like seat, but it's pronounced SEAT. That's a Spanish brand, and that's under the Volkswagen umbrella these days. So, certainly a big uh, welcome to our Spanish listeners, and of course, all our other listeners around the world the U.S., Australia, Canada, Luxembourg, and points beyond. Certainly glad to have you along for the ride here on the uh, Car Guys Report. And, Lou, I do have kind of a personal question to ask you right now, and you can either answer in the affirmative or the negative, but I just want are you? Do you happen to be wearing your adult Depends right now?
2: Uh, no, I'm not wearing it Depends right now. Okay. But,
0: uh. Well, the reason I the reason I asked that Lou is because after seven months of uh, nice dry behavior, my Fiat. Has started to relieve itself on my driveway once again. Oh no! I'm <laughs> not kidding. Uh, let's flash oh, back boy. about seven months. If uh, regular listeners remember the the trials and tribulations I had with my brand new 2019 Fiat 500. I purchased that car brand new at the uh, in the last month of uh, 2019. So it was December of 2019, and literally like almost a week or two after i bought it the car was dripping coolant and the reader's digest version is after six visits to the uh, to the dealer I, f- I finally got it resolved it was and and i got uh executive customer service from fiat involved and they did a very good job helping me along and it was it's been perfect for the last seven months and then a couple of weeks ago um i was pulling um actually the porsche the 911 into my garage and i look down on the on the driveway and there's this puddle and i'm like that can't be from the porsche because i just pulled it in and it was right where the the fiat is parked usually on the driveway because it's parked outside and I, i got a paper towel and i dabbed it and i'm like yeah that's the coolant from the fiat and the weird thing is it's leaking on the driver's side now because before all the leakage was happening on the uh passenger side what it I think what it ended up being, because this is the last part that they had replaced and it took care of the leak, There was a, there's a couple of metal pipes coming out of the uh, turbocharger housing uh, for the liquid cooling of the turbocharger, and they said that there was one that had kind of like this weird little dent in it, and they figured, well, that might be it. So they replaced that, and like I said, it was fine, but I don't know where it's coming from on the, on the driver's side. So as we speak, Lou, I'm waiting to... Uh, find out from the dealer because they picked up the car last week and we'll see what they say but uh, it was a you know a little bit of a disappointment because i was so attuned to checking for leaks for the first you know three months when i was having the issues and in the last seven months it's been perfect and i haven't you know batted an eyelid and then i saw this the other day so it's like well we'll keep you posted that's what we like to do here on the car guys report we talk about our real life adventures with our cars and things like that and we also talk about cars that we have seen Mark, Mark, yeah
2: yeah I, I i gotta slow you down for just a second are so gonna we'll, say something about the p a lot <laughs> the p a lot yeah that's what i have for all of our new spanish listeners uh <laughs> i've nicknamed this car the p a lot instead of the fiat <laughs> because it keeps dropping liquid yes. all over the uh, all over the driveway so that's why the comment of the defense um Wow. So I, I, you know, let let me. Let's get emotional here. So <laughs> when you saw that, did you get frustrated or?
0: You know, I really didn't. Um, I was just, I was almost like resigned to it because I'm like, okay, well, it's leaking in a different spot. So <laughs> for some reason, that made me feel better because it was leaking in the exact same position that it did before. That would have probably. Pissed me off, no pun intended, or pun intended, uh, more. But um, no, I just said, well, okay, you know, it's still under warranty and things like that, and they'll they'll take care of it. So. And luckily, you know, being a car guy, I've got plenty of cars to fall back on, so I don't need, you know, I don't need a loaner. They, the dealer's been real good. They came and picked up my car at my house. They'll deliver it back to me when it's done. So, you know, it's really no skin off my back other than whatever they're going to find. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually anxious or curious to see what they're going to discover because I don't know where it could be leaking from on the left side, so it's it's interesting i guess is to say the least but no i wasn't i wasn't really mad or anything i was just like okay well here we go again and hopefully this will be it but other than that i mean the car was great all summer long and into the fall it's been fantastic and i haven't driven it that much i think i did say this to the dealer um from the end of march till when it started leaking again seven months later of course when when our listeners are listening to the program recording now it'll be a couple months later um but uh, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, I only put about 1,400 miles on it in that seven-month period, so only 200 miles a month. I mean, it's not a lot of mileage, so I don't know. But we will uh, I'll keep everyone informed here and, and things like that. I mean, what would you have done, Lou? Would you have just been really frustrated, or would you have just said, well, kind of like me, it's just going back, and hopefully I'll get it fixed? Or are you going to put that for sale sign on it or what?
2: Yeah, I, I think— you know, it's funny because I mean, you tend to be a person who is comfortable selling a car. I mean, not that you're selling all your cars, but you know, if you feel it's time, yeah, you're 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 in prone to to put that for sale sign on it. It's time for a new vehicle. I tend to be the one who is more like, now nah, let's hold on to it for life. But at the same time, at this point, I feel like <laughs> I, I've had enough with. With this, uh, with this adventure. I think this adventure has run its course. Um. The,
0: the weird thing is, I mean, it's it's not like it's some weird, you know, electronic problem or some weird running problem or something. I mean, it's a coolant leak. I mean, how and that was my whole thing right from the beginning is like how hard can this be to fix because I've got my 58 Impala that doesn't it's 62 years old that car doesn't drip a drop of coolant you know I mean I've got I've got my 2002 Aston Martin that's got a V12 and I don't know how many you know cooling hoses and things like that that thing has in there and that doesn't drip anything and this brand new fiat starts dripping from day one and that's (laughs) and that's i think what what i found most frustrating is the fact that it's just it's it's just a damn coolant leak it's not anything that you should have to reinvent the wheel for to fix and there's only certain things that could leak it's either a clamp a hose a fitting That's it, you know, unless it's got something really weird. But they even went so far as last time to, like, test for a head gasket leak and things like that. And, of course, that was all negative. So... I mean, I think that's what's the most frustrating part. I have never thought about, no, I've I, that I've, like, had it with this car. I think, no, I want to keep this car for, I was thinking, at least 10 years, because they don't make the the Fiat 500 anymore. At least they're not selling it here in the U.S. They're redesigning it, and I've actually seen the redesign. It actually looks pretty cool, but they're not going to import it here, at least for quite a while. I haven't read any, any thoughts about if they're actually going to bring it back here or not. So that's where we are now. I'll keep you posted and, and see what happens, but... As I was saying, too, on the Car Guys Report, we always like to talk about cars we've spotted when we're out and about in our daily lives because, yes, we do do other things other than the Car Guys Report, unfortunately, but um, they had some neat uh, cars. These are nothing real groundbreaking, but it's always nice to see uh, some of these uh, makes and models on the road. A nice black 1971 Monte Carlo and I always love that first-generation Monte Carlo. I just think it's just a gorgeous uh, car, and you could get different flavors of that, too. That was the kind of the beginning of the personal American personal luxury cars kind of started by the Riviera. Uh, Cougar was part of that. Uh, Mercury Cougars, the uh, Chevy Monte Carlo. You could get a 454 in the Monte Carlo in the early days, and they're just neat cars. Sometimes you see them with vinyl roofs. Sometimes you see them just all in one color, but great cars. People are actually resto modding those things now too this one i in my notes i didn't write down that it was a resto mod so i don't think it was but a 71 monte carlo a 69 silver chevelle those are almost a dime a dozen it seems on my on on my rides i see a lot of chevelles around a nice 64 impala in beige and a classic 57 t-bird white with turquoise interior the top-down. Yes, that's always nice to see a T-Bird. And just so you know, too, I'm not making any of this stuff up. These are actual cars that I will see when I'm driving around. And this was all in one day that I saw... these amount of cars so um you know we're we're we put the real in reality here on the uh, car guys report informed automotive never are we gonna make stuff up so uh you know because some people just think there's no way he saw a monte carlo and a t-bird and a 64 impala all in one day yeah i did so um just wanted to (laughs) make that clear and i know that um Lou, you don't get into the spotting as much as I do, but you get into the driving with your uh, My Car Story with Lou YouTube channel. Have you been behind the wheel or in the passenger seat of uh, anything exciting lately?
2: Yeah, I've got, uh, uh, I'm going to give you three. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh oh, for, okay. For, for this episode, which was, to your point, all in one day.
0: That is so, awesome.
2: Uh, yeah, so it started, I'll go from the oldest to the newest, just like we're playing the My Car Story sure. game that we'll play later. Which will be coming up uh, later, yeah which will be later. <laughs> so stay uh, tuned. A, yeah, so stay tuned. I was in a 1948 Studebaker convertible champion. Wow. And, wow. Yeah. Uh, so the experience there in the Studebaker champion is that the doors, you know, like, for example, if you like to stick your elbow and kind of lean it on the door sill, sure. this would have been like up in my ear range. A mm-hmm. little was
0: high-waisted
2: very high waisted, this yeah. door came all the way up to the top of my shoulder when I was sitting in the bench seat. I mean, it was really, you know, something. But well, Lou, you uh, have to
0: tell the listeners that you are actually 4'10", four foot ten, right?
2: Yeah, well, I looked like I was four foot ten in there. I looked like a little kid in a, in a, in a car for sure. So that was the first one. The second one that I was uh, riding in was a um, 1957, and you mentioned it, uh, Thunderbird. It was oh, yep. uh, Star Mist Blue. Wow. Uh, which is like a baby blue. Yeah. So it was a ba- it was a baby blue bird. So cool. So bees in there.
0: Do what uh, did that have the uh, three twelve in it? The V eight. Uh, it you know? did. Yeah. How and was
2: then, how wow. was that?
0: How how was the how was the uh, driving experience or riding experience in that car in the T Yeah.
2: Good question. Good question. The uh, I, now this is kind of interesting. The first one, my shoulder was even with the door sill. The next one it was about at the, you know, a little higher than my waist, and my head, we had the convertible top up. If you look to the right, because remember I was in the passenger seat, yeah. usually you would be looking out a window. I'm looking at the interior of the of the convertible top row, huh. meaning that you actually have to like dip your head down to look to the right or to the left. So if you're driving down the street straight, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking behind you, no problem. If you're looking to the sides for a car, if you're making a left or a right, <laughs> th- a then you have a problem. <laughs> There's a big problem. So uh, I would almost consider that car a topless only car, meaning when you are sitting with that top down, you are about, like I said, a little bit above your belly button. So like it's, it's like this, it looks almost like a Hot Wheel car with a stick like a body inside it. Sure driver's thing, and it's kind of sticking out, you know, or maybe like a Barbie car where it's sticking way too high outside it's just, the yeah, car. Yeah,
0: too too outsized. And, and our 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 1958 uh, Buick specialist that we have on the program, uh, Bill Kubik, he has that problem because he's tall like me, but he doesn't have long legs, so he's got his height in his torso, so he would be yeah. like a whole head above the, <laughs> the windshield. Yeah. And he has that problem because he likes convertibles, and he's actually uh, – Buick made that um, convertible um, – I can't remember the name it's some weird name uh a couple of years ago that they actually just discontinued uh selling here this year and it has a very rakish windshield and um he actually tried it in the uh in the uh dealer and the windshield is like hitting him in his Adam's apple <laughs> so I was like you know this isn't going to work so it's funny how how cars and and you know the Tiber doesn't have a rakish windshield it's it's pretty upright so Back then, they it's like they didn't really maybe think about all the different variations that somebody might encounter or a potential buyer might think about when they're looking at the car. So, interesting, uh, interesting experience. And what was the number three car then?
2: The number three car was a ninth. This, this, I, I guess you'd say you had like, <laughs> um, you know, almost like uh, this one. This forge is too cold. This forge is too hot. The <laughs> the one that fit perfectly. Was the 1960 Chrysler 300F. Wow. With these, with the uh, wonderful swivel seats and uh, the optional air conditioning. So, cool. not that we were using the air, uh, but it had the air. And the interesting thing about that car, this would be considered the uh, banker's hot rod, is that each seat in the car looks like a bucket seat. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. The back seat actually isn't a bench, which most cars that size would be. It's actually that you have two buckets and this big armrest, Mm -hmm. uh, this lazy boy-like seat that you could sit in in the back or the front with these large armrests, and uh, really gives you a feeling of uh, comfort. And it's pretty quick, too. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, it
0: was a letter car, and the letter cars were the the top-of-the-line basically performance cars <clears throat> from mopar uh, back in in those days and like you said it was the banker's hot rod so yeah awesome car and and that had the swivel seat which is very cool you don't see that at all anymore i think the last one of the last cars that had a swivel uh seat for the driver i remember uh i borrowed uh back in my radio days from my program director when i lived in uh, lincoln nebraska um, I borrowed his car because my, my Saab 96 at the time was getting some work done on it. And he had, I wanted to say, it was either a 74 or a 75 uh, Pontiac Grand Prix. And that had a swivel um, driver's seat in it. And that's got to be one of the last that, that they ever did because they were really big in the in the 60s. I know Ford did them, too, I believe. And Ford, Ford had a swing-away steering wheel, too. This didn't have a swing-away steering wheel, did it? Just the seat...
2: The steering wheel was not swing away. Okay. I think the, I think the swing away that I recall was on the uh, Thunderbird. Yeah,
0: on a Ford. I remember that. Yeah yeah but it's cool that they did stuff like that a lot of people actually i think kind of missed the idea of a of a swiveling seat i think it'd be a little harder to do these days because of the way the the floors are so low and you got the sills coming up on the side and be i think it'd be a little harder to do and it might be a safety thing too these days where (laughs) you want to make sure that seat is locked in place uh when you're driving instead of having it swivel to the side but and what color was the was that uh, letter car
2: a letter card they only came in four colors. I think it was white. Uh, this one was uh, terracotta. Okay, so which be has kind which, of a... which has like a burgundy look to it. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, terracotta is like clay colored, right? Like kind of a reddish brown, maybe.
2: Yeah, yeah, like a bur- like a burgundy kind of a coppery uh, look to it. Wow. Yeah
0: that's cool and then, what engine did that have in it do you know him mean, it was a letter car i don't know if it would have been a 400 something like a, a wedge or if it would have been a 383 or do you know what was in under the hood
2: the 413 cross ram injection. Uh, wow,
0: that's the one with that big wide huge manifold on top and the two two four barrel carburetors if i'm remembering correctly
2: you are remembering exactly correctly
0: yeah those are those are always a joy to see at car shows because you can you can serve dinner on that manifold it's so wide (laughs) it just that's what freaks me out it's just and it's so flat i mean that's the cool thing it's just this big wide flat casting and they plop those two big carburetors on there and like yeah that thing's got some serious uh got some serious mojo to it very cool well cool uh You put my little spotted list to shame there, Lou. Uh, Well done. All in one day, too. So that's amazing. Stay tuned to the next episode. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, we like to do that now at the top of each episode. I go I go over the cars that I've seen on the road, and then Lou has to one-up me and tell me about the cars he's ridden or <laughs> driven while he's videotaping these things. So we'll have more of those coming up in the next episode, of course. Be sure to tell a friend about the Car Guys report, and if you're in Spain, one of our new listeners, please tell your friends, too. Uh, we're available online at radiomisfits.com. We're also available on Spotify. You can go to opishows.com com. You can search OPI o p p i h on Google. We're also available now on Amazon Music, Podcasts, Amazon Audible as well. So we're basically everywhere. And please, if you're one of our new listeners, whether you're in Spain, the U.S., uh, Australia, wherever you're listening to our podcast, thanks so much for tuning in. And please email us. We'd love to hear from from you. Uh, we'd like to know what you think of the show. If you've got any suggestions, comments, uh, kudos, complaints, whatever you got, email it to us at any time our email inbox open 24 7 at carguysreport at hotmail.com carguysreport at hotmail.com is our email address look forward to hearing from you i'm mark vernon along with uh, Lou costable this is the car guys report informed automotive and I wanted to take just a couple of minutes here, Lou, to talk about uh, something that is always top of mind with uh, a lot of car buyers these days is fuel-saving technology. This comes from Consumer Reports uh, magazine. They did kind of a a little article on uh, different fuel-saving technology that we find in cars these days. Some of it actually has been refined over many decades. Others are are quite new. And I'll just uh, talk about a couple of things that they uh, mentioned. As uh, fuel saving technology that is being incorporated into many cars these days. Obviously, one that has been refined over many years are uh, just aerodynamics, uh, bringing cars into a uh, wind tunnel, uh, tuning the outside, the underside, the way the air flows over the cars so it uh, slips through the air much uh, easier than something that wouldn't be aerodynamically designed. Uh, they do say, and this is true, they have a potential drawback of an aerodynamic design. Could be rakish styling can squeeze interior Space and impede visibility, which is true because usually a lot of the rakishness comes from the back end where they'll like have a hatchback or something, and they'll they'll uh, cut down the rear window sharper at a sharper angle. So if you're sitting in the back seat, you know we were just talking about headroom with a convertible, your head might be hitting like the back uh, uh, headliner or something like that. So it is something, and if it's an SUV, it can impede on uh, the cargo cargo carrying capacity because you won 't be able to stack things as high because you won 't be able to get the uh, the door closed the hatch closed so something to think about, but I kind of think that the styling uh, benefits of an aerodynamic design, something that looks sleek and cool kind of outweigh the potential drawbacks because at least with me i mean i don 't have kids so i don 't have to, and i don 't really trundle guests around very often usually it's just my girlfriend would be maybe in the passenger seat but hardly ever do i have anyone in a back seat so (laughs) i don't really worry about that Um, a couple of other things that they're talking about here active grill shutters now they said that a lot of cars come with active grill shutters these days none of my cars none of my new cars my my porsche my mercedes-benz the fiat 500 the the challenger they don't have any active grill shutters basically they close off a portion of the grill opening and create fuel efficiency by improving aerodynamics and balancing engine cooling needs they also help the engine warm up more quickly if you're in a cold environment so you don't have to put one of those little you know piece of cardboard or something over a a radiator opening like you see in a lot of cars and they said added complexity could affect reliability because it is a uh they can get dirty they can get uh, bugs and and road debris in them and they don't always want to open or close properly i know that. That's one thing that I've I've heard about uh, continuously variable transmissions. Uh, those have been around for a long time. They've got they become fairly ubiquitous in a lot of different cars, a lot of the hybrids and the uh, more uh, smaller compact cars. And I think the big uh, uh complaint i guess with uh continuously variable transmissions is sometimes it's just depending on the make and the way it's tuned is it just kind of seems like your car is just like always kind of revving up and down because it's theoretically in only one gear because it, it varies the the ratios automatically and it doesn't actually shift into a different gear and it's to the point where some car manufacturers are actually adding like a fake shift point within the uh cvt transmission with the software so it simulates a shift even though it's not because people are so used to that and my girlfriend's prius has a cvt in it and I've never really noticed too much in the way of—I think that one's tuned pretty well because it uh, doesn't—to me, doesn't go and go like, like that. Um, So, you know, at least my experience with that one um, seems pretty good. But when I hear about a new car coming only with a CVT instead of a choice of a different kind of automatic transmission, I kind of cringe because if I had the choice, I would not— pick a cvt just because i want a regular um you know hydraulically uh actuated transmission with clutch plates and things like that and it controlled with solenoids by a computer and that segues into the next uh fuel saving technology the eight nine and ten speed automatic transmissions where are they going to end are we going to see more than 10 speed automatics who knows um i've got one the highest uh speed transmission i have is an eight speed And that is in the 2020 Challenger, and that is that ZF uh, automatic that is just in everything these days. It's an incredibly good transmission. You see it in BMWs. You see it in just every, almost every car that's got an eight-speed automatic will have that ZF in there. Uh, What is your, Lou, do you know what your your Lincoln SUV, what transmission, how many speeds that is? Is that a six-speed in there, or?
2: You know, I I don't know that, to answer your question. I mean, it's, uh, you know, somewhat of a push-button, I'll call it, transmission that's, you know, up, up alongside your radio. Yeah. But, uh, other than that, I, I really don't, I, I've never, I'll call it, counted how many... Uh, times.
0: Well, sometimes you can't even feel it shift these days. I mean, automatics are so good that uh, unless you're under full throttle acceleration when you're going to get a more pronounced shift, the only way you can tell... Uh, that a transmission is shifting these days is by the change in engine speed or engine note. You know, we watch the tachometer drop because yeah i mean they're so smooth and and some of them shift so quickly because the reason why they're putting all these these multi-speed transmissions in cars it's all about fuel economy and they want to try to get you into the highest gear possible as quickly as as possible so a lot of times you'll be going 30 miles an hour and you're already being like you know fifth gear sixth gear depending on how many uh, gears the transmission has even like my my cayenne has a, and, it, and this seems like it, it's antiquated because it's a 2008. It's only got a six speed transmission in there, six speed automatic. And that thing will be into fourth gear by the time I'm going like 25. So it's just, but you don't even feel it shift getting there because it shifts so quickly, too. I mean, it'll shift from third to fourth within a couple of miles an hour of each other because, like I said, it's all about getting up in that higher gear to try to improve um, fuel efficiency. They say, CR says potential drawbacks of a multi speed. speed. Speed automatic would be Uh, in some cases downshifting can feel slow. I don't know if I've really totally experienced that. And they say frequent shifting at lower speeds can feel clunky, and that is a definite because I know that sometimes when I'm accelerating in the Cayenne and I'm expecting you know a little bit more out of it, it feels a little bogged down. But I look down, I'm like already in fourth gear, and that's why. So. Uh, it's just something you have to get used to. But so far, I have very high marks on the uh, on the 8-speed ZF that I have in the Challenger. And I'm, I was curious about that one for a long time, too, because you hear so much about their transmission. And I'm glad that I finally have a car with it so I can get real-world experience with it. And so far, I like it. I really do. A couple of other things that uh, save fuel in cars. Cylinder deactivation. Now, that's another thing that my Challenger has on it. Since it has an automatic transmission, they're able to do the cylinder deactivation with the uh, 392 V8 in there. And what it does is it shuts off four, four of the cylinders And what that does is obviously saves gas because it's running like a four-cylinder engine then. And they say one of the... uh, bad things about cylinder deactivation, potential drawback could be some early systems. They say had mild vibrations when the cylinders activate or deactivate. I tend to feel maybe a little bit of of, of not really shuddering, but a little bit of vibration every now and then. But it's pretty smooth and pretty undetectable. And you can't switch that off. I mean, I, I would rather not have that if I had a choice. But it just comes with the with the automatic. So if it saves a little bit of gas, I guess that's okay. And then uh, one other thing that we, we're seeing a lot in cars these days, too, is um, electric power steering instead of having a hydraulic uh, power steering pump. Uh, electric uh, power steering uh, obviously has an electric motor in it, and that's not running off the engine, so that's going to save gas because uh, it's not drawing any any power from from a running engine. Um, and so far, they I think the, the electric power steering is pretty good. I've got it in the Challenger. I've got it in the Fiat. And it's been around for a while, so um, another thing that that we see. And then my least favorite fuel-saving technology, and I am proud to say I do not have a car that has this, Lou, is the automatic start-stop. And you know I will be railing on that until the cows come home. I just think that is just a completely idiotic, worthless uh, feature. And the thing that it just bugs me, too, is when you're at a stoplight these days— And you're waiting for the uh, light to turn green. And all of a sudden, you'll hear all these cars start up around you. And it's because they have start-stop. And I just think that's really annoying. I really, really think that's annoying. Not only if I had a car that had that and I was driving it, the thing would be, you know, turning on and off. Um, and they say potential drawbacks of a start stop is can cause hesitation and shutter on restart which is very true and that's been a complaint in a lot of the car magazines about various cars and they say it can compromise the performance of AC and other accessories during shutdown too which is true because your AC doesn't continue to run then so unless you've got an electric which would have obviously electric compressors instead of a, a, a one driven by a belt, but, uh, so I just wanted to touch on that a little bit, just fuel saving technologies that we're seeing in cars. Oh, and let, let,
2: let me jump. On yeah, sure. Bandwagon.
0: Yeah. Jump on my bandwagon.
2: The, um, I am not a fan of that start stop thing. I mean, um, I, first of all, I'm shocked that so many companies put it in cars.
0: Well, they're doing it just because of the, it's just to save fuel and it's just ridiculous. I know, but you're saying it's like in everything now.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, um, I do get the chance to rent quite a few vehicles, you know, and no matter what level of vehicle you're getting, it, it has that. And the first thing I look at when I... How to and defeat and it? You, you, never, you never expect it, by the way. You yeah. You come to the first stop, and, you, and all of a sudden the thing shuts off at a stoplight. And the reason why it stinks is because, for me personally, it gives me a total feeling of, what if this thing doesn't start? Exactly. And I'm in the middle of an
0: I know. That's a you know, very real concern.
2: I mean, you know, so uh, the fact that I have to wait for an ignition to start and and have something engage, and I can't believe that you wouldn't blow through more starters.
0: You know, that's, uh, that's the other thing. The argument says, like, oh, well, they've designed the starter to, you know, hold up to that. And I'm like, really? I mean, if you're in stop-and-go traffic or just on a commute, that thing could turn on and off 20 or 30 times a day. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> And, and you're telling yeah. me that the starter is going to last? Yeah, I, I, I think there's just way, way too much um, negative uh, connotations there to to uh, outweigh the very slight potential benefit of saving. You know, literally just like tenths of a mile of gallon, uh, tenths of a mile of gallon. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say. One tenth of yeah. a mile per gallon <laughs> of much, gasoline. Not, not much gas savings. savings. No. And, Ladies and gentlemen, not much gas. Savings. There you go. Thanks, Lou. I get a little <laughs> tongue-tied every now and then. But um, and like you said too, it's a safety thing. I think because I've always been under the impression too that once a, a gasoline internal combustion engine is running and warmed up, you should keep it running. You know, if you're driving, you shouldn't be shutting it on and off.
2: And well, I know the, just from the lubrication standpoints alone, I mean, you, you know, the lubrication just continues to go th- flow through the engine and it's what it's designed to do. It's exactly. And,
0: and you get, stop. I know that, I know that fuel injection has come a long way and with the electronic fuel injection and direct injection, you know, they have piezo actuated injectors. So they shut on and off a lot quicker and they don't drip, but um, they're not supposed to drip. But I always thought that hot soak or whatever they call it is a thing, too, where if you have a hot engine and you turn it off and then you turn it, try to turn it back on right away, that there's issues that it might not start up right away or whatever. They, you know, I, that might have been true 40 years ago with a mechanical fuel injection system. But I just think it's, it's keep the thing running. And like I said, the first thing I do, because I've only had experience that I think in one or two loaner cars that I had, the first thing I look at is, OK, does this have start stop on it? Where do I turn it off? because I want to turn, turn that system off so it's not yeah. turning the car on and off automatically. Yeah. Some systems you can't turn it off. Um, there's like three variations, and I've read that. Uh, I think some of the Chevrolets you cannot... There's no way you can defeat it either manually or, like, through computer programming. It, it like, wow. the dealer, you, could, you know, because some of them, I think there's some way they could probably do it, but it's like this liability thing maybe. But then, like a BMW, I understand that if you are in the car and you shut off the, the auto start stop, it will remember your setting then, so the next time you go to start the car, it's still defeated. And then other cars, you have to turn it off manually every time you get in the car, so...
2: I was in a Toyota, uh, a Jeep Cherokee, which you would think would not have to shut it on and off every time. Nope, you have to shut it on. My Lincoln has got something where you can uh, put it in the program, uh, my 2015 Lincoln SUV, where, you know, uh, it'll stay it'll remember the setting that you said you want it to keep running. Yeah. But, my, oh, my gosh, it is just so irritating when, uh, you know, when you're you're trying to, you're you're coming out of some place, you're getting in a rental car, you're already somewhat confused, you're finally feeling like, okay, I'm away from the airport, I'm starting to get comfortable, and then the car shuts off at the first intersection. Yeah. You're just looking around like, what, 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 what yeah. you know, where's the button? I mean, it's it's what a hassle.
0: It is. I'm glad that that, that we see eye-to-eye on this because I know that it's been something that's been cropping up in in some of the reviews as well, too, saying, like, you know, why bother with this? It's just And it's another thing that can go wrong. I mean, I just read last week that uh, I think it's Buick has some kind of recall now for not a—it's not one of these, like, million-car recalls, but Buick has some kind of recall for I don't know how many thousands of cars, something about an oil leak— on a potential oil leak on on something that's on the transmission, but it's related to the start-stop system. So it's like this device that they put on there that's somehow related to start-stop that is now leaking or has a potential leak and might cause an engine fire or something like that. I'm like, well you're just adding more complexity to the car there too you know and here you're whatever we could we could <laughs> we could yeah, rail on this for a, a long whole, time but
1: whole the whole
0: technology we'll we agree. hate we'll yeah, agree to say that we don't like auto start stop we, for we sure we put
2: this in the number one hated it car is
0: no it is it to me it is and i that's why i respect chrysler uh, mopar for not putting it on the, on the Challenger, because it's a performance car, too. I mean, that's the thing that kills me. It's like, even like a Porsche these days, like a brand new 911 has that. I'm like, come on, it's a, it's a performance car. It shouldn't have that period. You know, it's just... Ugh just annoys me. So, anyway, moving on. Uh, we're at the point in the program where we like to uh, talk about something, uh, usually a car. In this case, it's not a car, so it makes it even more exciting. Uh, uh, cars that have either been recently uh, put up for sale, bought or sold online, either via auction or through just like a Hemmings listing. And this comes from uh, Bring a Trailer. Now, Lou, um, I think you remember that uh, not only am I a car guy, but I am also a watch aficionado. I have been a uh, watch guy. Collector now for uh, over 20 years. And I always like, and I pretty much just wear 100% mechanical watches these days. I don't have any quartz watches that I wear. And the mechanical watches are either an automatic, which wind through the movement of your wrist because it's got a rotor that winds the mainspring, or maybe like a, a good old fashioned hand wind mechanical movement. And this was a Hoyer, which was a. Um, a uh, Swiss uh, watch company now called Tag Heuer uh, before they merged. Heuer, uh, spelled H-E-U-E-R, made uh, a set of uh, dash timers. These are kind of like a Haldas speed pilot if you're into rallying. This was the Heuer Monte Carlo and Super Ottavia dash timers that sold and Bring a Trailer recently. And I marked it down as well sold because they hammered down on Bring a Trailer this pair of uh, dash timers that somebody obviously bought for their uh, vintage car that they're making look like a rally car or maybe they actually might use them too. $11,250 for this pair of hoyer uh, uh, dash timers which is a very good price because i actually went wow. on to ebay when i found these i went on ebay i'm like you know it'd be cool to have a haul to speed pilot or something uh just for fun and uh they're they're up there too they're up in the i think the th- several thousands of dollars range um i do remember the i've talked about this car i think i've talked about it in, in the last episode my uh... My late great friend, uh, Monty Tar, who had a 1959 Saab GT 750, which now resides in the Saab Museum in Sweden. That car was basically a fa- as close to a factory rally car as you could get from from a as a production car and that had a haul the speed pilot on it from the factory on the dash which is totally cool i don't exactly understand how all these things work because they have they basically look like a stopwatch and there's one that obviously is timing seconds um and then there's uh sub dials and and it's just ways to keep you on track because when you're Rallying you usually have to maintain a, an average speed through a through a, a section, and this way it, it tells you plus or minus how far off you are from that average speed, or things like that. But very cool. They were powered by Swiss-made Valjoux five movement. Valjoux is still a, uh, a company nowadays uh, that make uh, great. Uh, chronograph uh, movements for watches uh, built between 1958 and 1967. So these are about 60, 50, 60 years old. Um, I just think I wrote down these Hoyers are worth the price because for eleven 250, you're not going to find too many of them, but 11 grand, that's a lot, but somebody wanted them and it's really going to make their car pop i think so hats off to the uh seller because he made out well but the buyer too um and that's what we like to talk about here sometimes you talk about tools kits that have sold in the five-figure range uh, on Bring a Trailer. It's not always just a car. It could be a tool kit. It could be these dash timers, which we've talked about before. It could be owner's manuals that sell for big money, maybe a luggage set, matched luggage set for a Ferrari or something like that. But if you've never been to Bring a Trailer, check it out. Over 200 uh, live auctions uh, on at any time, and just a great, great selection of cars that they have um on that uh, auction website and you can also check out hemmings too it's a great place to start your search for a, a classic or exotic car or special interest automobile as well if you like the car guys report informed automotive and we certainly hope that you do be sure to check out some of the other programs available on the radio misfits podcast network like the show Minutia men it's an opi show uh rick kempfer and dave stern a couple of uh kind of wacky guys that i've known for many many years and you know most people when they get older they get a little more conservative and i don't know rick and dave are still pretty out there they're pretty creative. They come up with a lot of wacky stuff, and they talk about that on their Opie show called Minutia Men. Worthless information, that's what they share on Minutia Men. Check it out. It's available on Spotify, opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just search Radio Misfits, and what do you know? That's where you'll find this podcast. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable, and Lou, this is kind of a mini list. We've got a list coming up right after this list, but um, this is a small list that came out a while back from uh, Auto Week, and it's five trucks and cars that they think that people should be considering buying now, and these cars come from the 1990s, so about 30 years old. Uh, A lot of trucks, actually, uh, on this list. It's only a a very short, concise list, five cars, and I made a couple of uh, editorial comments. Um, Do you want me to start with the trucks or the cars first? I know you're really not a truck guy, but... Yeah, let's go with the trucks. Okay. Uh, And this one, the first one's actually, it's a no-brainer. The J80 Series Toyota Land Cruiser... And it also uh, made an appearance as the Lexus LX450, basically the exact same chassis body. The Lexus would be trimmed out a little bit differently, maybe a little more soundproofing. They say that's a car that you should consider buying now because of its uh, upward uh, potential potential. in value it would definitely hold its value my comments were yes that's a great uh, choice super solid long-lived dependable uh, never sold in real high volumes either only in the really a couple thousand a year because they were pretty pricey. I mean, a Land Cruiser nowadays goes for like eighty-five grand brand new, which is a lot. And even back in the 90s, they were still fairly expensive for what it was. But they're rugged. They go anywhere. Um, They're right up there with any kind of uh, Land Rover, Range Rover, things like that. So a Toyota Land Cruiser, definitely uh, one to look at. And actually, the Lexus uh, counterpart actually – Would be a little harder to find, but that might actually be a little more fun, just because it would just be a little bit more um, luxurious. I think the GMC Yukon GT. Now this is kind of a little specialized thing. It's uh, basically it's a a two door uh, Chevy Tahoe, which kind of looks like the Blazers uh, that came right before it. So it's a two door, shorter wheelbase uh, SUV made by GMC, another lower volume one because you're not going to be able to find. Too many Yukon GTS from the '90s, and I said, "Okay, well, I guess that one sounds okay." And then another no-brainer truck from uh, Toyota, the Toyota Toyota Tacoma, which they nicknamed the Taco. And we've heard that uh, <laughs> that that moniker before for the Tacoma, and I just said, "No brainer, they never die." I mean, that's like the one. I don't know if you ever watched the original uh, Top Gear with uh, Jeremy Clarkson and and those fellows, but uh, they took a Toyota Hilux, which is basically the same thing as the Toyota Tacoma, and they literally did everything you could ever think of to kill that thing, and it just didn't die. I mean, they dropped it off a cliff, they dumped it in the ocean, and it just wouldn't die. So uh, that's why the Tacoma's on the list, and you're actually going to be able to find those pretty easily, I think, from the 90s, although they might have you know 500,000 miles or something on them so two cars on the list here Lou and they're actually pretty cool one's a redheaded stepchild as I like to call it and one is uh just a car we've talked about before on the program I'll start with the redheaded stepchild the Porsche 968 do you have one of those on uh my car story with Lou
2: no I don't have a Porsche nine. well no I'd like one.
0: They're oddballs. That had a three-liter... I'm, I'm going to take a quick look. Yeah, one go one. ahead. That had a three-liter inline four-cylinder, which is a huge engine, huge displacement for a four-cylinder. And that's what made it kind of weird. I, I, I do have a
2: 968. You do? Okay. Yeah, it's a 1995 Porsche 968 Guards Red.
0: Okay, convertible or...
2: It's a hardtop.
0: Okay. Because they made it both in hardtop and convertibles. Uh, one of our previous guests on the Car Guys Report, Scott Crane has a uh, convertible 968. He likes it. He had it uh, repainted. It was a black car originally. He had it repainted in black. It looks great. Um, And they also made a turbo version, too. Very, very rare. They only made 14 total, uh, European only. So try to find one of those. You're not going to be able to do it. But a 968, kind of an oddball car, but um, it's just one of those things that, since it's a Porsche, it'll probably, you know, at least hold its value fairly well. And then the last one on this quick list from Auto Week, uh, five cars and trucks from the 1990s that you should be buying right now, the BMW 8 Series, that uh, big complex uh, engine that came in V8 and V12 models. Get the V12. uh, If you can find it with a six-speed manual, that would be great. Uh, The car actually was made for nine years uh, throughout the entire uh, decade of the 90s. They can be affordable. I've seen them as low as five, six thousand dollars, and I've also seen them go for thirty, forty thousand uh, dollars. My comment here is they can be affordable, but bring your checkbook and bring your mechanic <laughs> because they anything with a V twelve uh, from Germany is going to be expensive if something needs to be fixed. Great looking car though. Pop up, or actually, yeah, they had pop up headlights. Um, And just a a nice uh, classic GT touring car, two-door, four-seater inside. Uh, Nice rakish uh, look to it. Uh, Styling has held up well over the last uh, 30 years. And uh, they're actually fairly plentiful. They're not real hard to find, but I think finding a good one is the thing that uh, you have to, um, you know, take your time and and make sure you're not going to find one that's going to cost you Uh, More problems or more headaches uh, versus, uh, you know, spend a little bit more to get the best one you can afford. That's basically the watchword on those. But I know you like that uh, 8 Series BMW, right, Lou, the 850? Yeah,
2: Yeah, I I do have a uh, 850 CSI uh, E31 V12 on the channel. Cool. And um, the interesting thing about that, you mentioned the headlights. Yeah. When you think headlights, you think front of the car. They're really more halfway, not halfway, maybe a third of the way up the hood of the car because the car's got a real pointed nose. And if you opened the hood, you'd actually have holes where the headlights pop up.
0: And it has, if I recall correctly, too, I think it has like driving lights or something in that little slit of what would be like the grill.
2: Because like you said, it comes way down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, they're cool cars. They really are. And I, I definitely see that becoming a – it already is considered pretty much a collectible, I think. But um, definitely in the um, in the future, it's going to be even moving up farther in the echelon of of BMW collectibles, especially, too, because it's got a V12, and it won't be too many more years before the V12 – Uh, from any manufacturer is going to be a relic so if you want one start looking for one now and maybe you'll be able to find one that uh, that you can afford we have uh, sanitized all our opi shows for your protection but you should still be wearing your mask lou is at his uh, home office i'm at the car guys report uh, warehouse so we're safe but we're wearing our masks we can help prevent the spread of covid19 by following the cdc guidelines we'll be saving the world and also be sure to Wash your hands. That's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to take a quick hand-washing break. Lou will do the same,
1: and we'll be right back with Clean Hands after this. I'm Howard Sudbury and I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next Back to You, we're going to play a little game called What Show Is It? And you only get 3 words to describe the show and one of the 3 words ain't the title of the show. And our motto for the next year is Why Should You Be Happy? A lot of entertainment <laughs> if you listen to the next Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. You can find Back to You on Spotify, opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts to search for Radio Misfits longest promo ever is it over it is now mm-hmm. that's nice <laughs> <laughs> on this week's Minutia Men celebrity interview we talked with, with Pulitzer Prize winner for the 1970 Kent State photograph John Paul Philo Minutia Men celebrity interview an opi show only on the Radio Misfits podcast network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radiomisfits.com And we're back here on the Car Guys
0: Report, informed automotive. Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable, thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. And once again, a big uh, bienvenido welcome to our Spanish listeners here on the uh, Car Guys Report, our listeners in the country of Spain. We like to do lists on the um, Car Guys report here. Lou, I know it's uh, something that our listeners have responded very well to, and and we always have some fun with them. What I do is I find these various lists that come out online, and I always used to kind of edit them down a little bit because sometimes there's stuff that I don't think should be on there or there's stuff that they leave off or whatever. But this is a list from Road & Track, the 22 best GT or Grand Touring cars, and we're splitting this up into two. So we'll do about 11 for this uh, episode and then we'll do the rest next episode and um to me uh there's a couple of cars on here that I wouldn't exactly categorize as a GT to me my definition of a grand touring car is a two door coupe with a back seat, whether it's a vestigial back seat, like I say, um, meaning it's basically worthless unless you're a child or a dog, um, and it also has to have a trunk. It can't be a hatchback or it can't be, you know, something like that. So that's my definition of a, of a GT. My Aston Martin fits that because it's a four-place four, door, uh, four place, uh, interior, two doors, it's got a trunk. Well, your,
2: your, your Aston Martin doesn't have four doors.
0: No, no, I said a four-place Meaning four four seats. It's got a back seat. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's two door. Um, My uh, Mercedes E Class Coupe fits into that too. I consider that a a GT car too because it's got a a twin turbo V eight. It's got two doors, four seats, and a trunk. So, and the back seat should be the back seat.
2: Yeah, just for clarification, you have two front seats in your in your Aston and two seats where you could put a regular size bag of groceries
0: yeah basically that's it i know that's why it's just, it's a joke that the back seats in any of these cars especially since i'm tall i always have the, the front seat shoved all the way back yeah. there's no leg room you know like no. i said unless you're a dog or yeah or a bag of groceries <laughs> it's the only and, thing to... and
2: i and i'd agree with it that's the definition of a gt car
0: it is yeah i really do so yeah, on the not list a,
2: not, a, not, a, not a four-door everybody can get in it Everybody can get out of it easily. No, that's not a grand choice. Well,
0: it's like the way they're stretching the 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 the, the technolo- or the terminology of a coupe these days, where you see these four door rakish sedans from the likes of Mercedes and BMW, and they call them coupes. It's not a coupe. It's got four doors,
2: right? Or or if they look at like the Maserati, you know, and if they have four doors on it, yeah, I, I understand it's the same front nose piece as it is on the two door, but. The body line is not the same. Yeah. And anyway, we're, we're in total agreement.
0: you getting to this, though, then. So one of the first cars on this list, best GT, modern GT cars, is a Corvette. And I wrote down, really? Is that really a GT? I don't think it is because the Corvette's a two-seater. There's no back seat, and it's got a hatch. So I would say right away, that's not a GT.
2: Are, are they considering the C8? Or the, well, I guess it doesn't this matter.
0: This would be yeah, well, C8, C7, either one. I yeah. mean,
2: you know, it, now here's here's why I'm not balking completely at that, because Corvette, especially the new ones, has become so. I'll use the word comfortable.
0: Sure, you could take them on a on a. To me, a, a GT is the kind of car you want to take on a vacation where you can just cruise for hours at the highest speed you want with your with and, your significant other in and, the passenger and, seat, and, luggage in the know, trunk.
2: And although I understand both of our definitions, I'm actually okay with that choice. Really? Because I really think that is a car that... And here's how I define a GT car as well. I'd like to drive it from New York to California. Yeah. Yeah. And not only would I like to drive it, but the key word, the capital letter word in there is like driving it. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd actually you know, assuming it's not the dead of winter, (laughs) you know, know, because you would never take a Corvette coast to coast, um, dead of winter, but I I could see enjoying going from, you know, New York to California in a Corvette, I, I could actually, I can stomach that one on the list.
0: Okay. I I I beg to, to disagree with you, but okay, I, I can see your point. I mean, as far as you know, the comfort and the and the the usability aspect of it, I guess, is what I'm saying. There's a yeah. cup, there's a couple of Ferraris on the list. The uh, and again, I said uh, this one is the Ferrari GTC4 Lusso, and my comment was a hatchback is not a GT because the Lusso. I I'm sure I looked it up or looked at the picture and and another one too, the mclaren is is, is the
2: luso the one that looks like almost like a looks uh, like a little kind of a like
0: like a bread box yeah like a wagon yeah that's not really a gt technically because it doesn't have a trunk it's got that kind of hatch and the same thing with the mclaren gt i put really because again a mclaren gt that's a mid-engine car has no back seat i don't think that's a a gt and you wouldn't want to drive a mclaren gt cross-country lou I think your your ears would be, you'd be deaf by the time you 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 would arrive in yeah, you, Santa Monica.
2: You you, you you do have a good point. I mean, I, <laughs> and, and and that's actually why I'm. Was that's a great point. The deaf factor is, um, and that's why the Corvette almost works because you can put that in a mode that's this like comfort mode, and all of a sudden those mufflers aren't screaming. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I uh, yeah, so far we're in a lot of agreement on everything you're saying.
0: A couple of other Ferraris on here, the 812 Superfast and the 456. Now, the 456 to me, is that that's a proper GT, plus it's got, uh, able to find it with a V12 and a six-speed manual. That's a great combination. Um, I'm not all that familiar with the 812 Superfast, but... Um,
2: that, that, that I'm a little familiar okay. with. Okay. The 812 Superfast, the brand new one, is on the channel... And it has one feature I really do not like. On the passenger side, which would be more my wife's at, it shows you a digital display which tells her how fast I'm going <laughs> and the revs on the engine. Not good. <laughs> That's not something she needs to know at any point in time.
0: And you can't, like, alter her no. view of it.
2: <laughs> it? It's, like, right there for her display. And I'm like, no, this would not work. <laughs> I know it's a very technical, cool feature, but that just wouldn't work in my house. That's for sure. I'm getting, I'm getting cold. I'm in the wrong lane, and I'm in the, you know, the wrong position. I'm not going fast enough. I'm going too slow. Yeah. If I gave her control over that to actually see the, the numbers, oh my god, it would be unbearable.
0: Oh, that's funny. That is good. Uh, the BMW M6 uh, would be the six series uh, BMW, which is a proper GT car the Mustang GT. Now I know you're a you're a you're a Ford fan. And I don't know because I don't consider my Dodge Challenger to be a GT car and I don't know if the Mustang GT fits into that either.
2: Well, let me add to that. I you know, I've been in both the Challenger and the Mustang. Yeah. Now, I would agree with you that the Mustang is not really a good car for coast to coast because the the viewing Availabilities are limited, you know, kind of like a Camaro. You're, you know, you've got a raked roofline. Yeah, there. I mean, it's it's not really very functional for that. Um, but your Challenger, it has very good visibility, and those seats on your car are like, you know, very comfortable, almost to the point of if it didn't have any rumble at all. And when you take it out of that sport mode. It doesn't growl. Well, it's because it's it's running.
0: If you're going to be on the highway, it'll be running in cylinder deactivation modes. (laughs) It's going to quiet it down a lot.
2: I mean, it's actually, you can have real conversation in the car. You can have nice time. You can listen to, you know, hard rock, soft rock, whatever, you know, no rock. Yeah. You know, soft listening. Your car, I could see going coast to coast. It does have a big trunk. Challenger, yes. And the Mustang, I'm a fan of the Mustang. But I would say the the Mustang is clearly a rip around within an hour distance from you and rip it back into the garage and have a stupid smile on your face the whole time. Your car I could actually see going coast to coast.
0: Interesting. Because it's funny because, um, you know, once uh, the pandemic finally ends, you know, my girlfriend and I want to do a do another road trip because we haven't been able to and she's like what car are we going to take and i'm like well either mercedes or goes, could we take the challenger I go, yeah we could take the challenger because that would work too and those are pretty much the only two cars that i would really feel comfortable taking on a on a long-term you know road trip as far as a uh, mixture of performance economy room cargo carrying capacity things like that so i can see where you're coming from i will say the visibility on the on the challenger isn't that great from the three-quarter uh, shoulder-check view, uh, you got a pretty big C-pillar there. Um, but view out front and off out the sides is fine. So a um, couple more on the list here, the Bentley Continental GT. That's the uh, Bentley that's been out for quite a while now uh, under Volkswagen's tutelage. And my only comment about that car, I'm not a big Bentley fan anymore because I had a, a Continental R from 1994, of course, the Continental GT is a completely different car, but I just said overpriced, overrated. Um, you can get them pretty cheap now if you find a, a good used one. You can only spend forty, forty-five grand to get one that's actually probably okay, uh, and that's a true GT. Uh, big engine in front, uh, four seats inside, two door, got a trunk. That fits the uh, the bill. And then a couple more, uh, the Jaguar XJS, the V12 XJS. That's from the uh, mid to late 90s. That basically has a lot of uh, Aston Martin. My DB7 has a lot of uh, Jaguar XJS in it because it was designed, uh, at least uh, the body was designed by Ian Cullum in both uh, respects, and the updated XJS was actually Was what was going to be the updated XJS actually became the DB7. So (laughs) it's very confusing, but that's what happened. And then, speaking of Aston Martin, the Aston Martin Vanquish and the Aston Martin DBS Superleggera are two more GTs on the first half of this, uh, best modern GT cars. Uh, We've already said that the Aston fits the bill for a uh, proper GT car. Of course, they're incredibly expensive these days, so unless you have a couple of extra... $100,000 kicking around in your uh, IRA that you don't want to worry about taking out and paying a penalty on, there you go. Those are (laughs) the two Aston Martins to get. But that's the first half of the list, Lou. We'll do uh, part two on the uh, next episode of the Car Guys Report. We were talking about what Road & Track thinks to be the 22 best GT, modern GT cars. And on that list, you know, I I, I don't know what I would take. Um, I'd be happy with something pretty... Pretty rudimentary, even though I know he's, I kind of knocked the B, uh, the Bentley. But the Bentley, the BMW would be good. I just think the Ferraris would be just even even if you're in sixth gear or eighth gear or whatever, it would be on the highway and your your engine revs are down. I still think that the noise yeah, would the get Ferrari, you after a while.
2: The, the Ferraris are a bit much for the for the long haul. Yeah,
0: yeah. I really do think that. But uh, not a bad list, though. I didn't really have too much to complain about <laughs> in that list, which doesn't happen too often here on the Car Guys Report. I have to express my opinion some, somewhere, and uh, that's what I do right here on the Car Guys Report. If you like the Car Guys Report, make sure you tell a friend about us. We're available all over the place. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Android, iHeartRadio, Blueberry, Stitcher, Amazon Music Podcast. Amazon Audible. You can uh, go to radiomisfits.com and check out all the uh, podcasts that are available on the network. And remember, too, that listening to a Radio Misfits podcast is free. And it's listening on your own terms, on demand, as they say these days. You can fast-forward, rewind, replay. You can uh, go back into our extensive library and listen to something that Lou and I babbled on about about six or eight months ago, see if we're still full of it or not. Uh, You can replay a current episode. You can do whatever you want, and you can listen to it wherever you are on whatever device you have, whether it's your phone, your tablet, your laptop, your desktop. If you're in the car, maybe you've got uh, Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, that's the beauty of podcasting It's listening on your own terms, and we've got it all right here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, informed automotive, Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. And Lou, it's your favorite part of the uh, Car Guys Report, and you can uh, explain it in full for our new listeners in Spain, as well as anyone else that might be listening for the first time. It's the Car Guys Report guessing game. Take it away.
2: So the Car Guys Report guessing game is this is your first time to the uh, podcast is where I have a YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou. It's solely based on the videos that I put on. And then we guess and we give them a little time to be up on the channel and uh, three cars that were in the same week. We judge which one would have the most views, the second most views and the third most views. And I get Mark hasn't seen any of these numbers or any uh, pre-knowledge of what's going to be the highest, so you can guess along right with him. And remember, this is my channel, which means that Jay Leno could do the same car or you could do the same car, and it'll have completely different results. And you'll find out sometimes that there's no rhyme or reason. So that said, um, we're looking at uh, three cars here, and I give them usually at the, uh, uh, the oldest to the newest, if you will. So in this particular episode, I'm just double-checking here to make sure that the numbers are correct still. Uh, Okay, I've I've, uh, found my location. Okay, so for these three cars, we're looking at uh, uh, a 1970... A 1970... uh, Let me go back a second. The oldest one is... Yeah, it is the 1970. Sorry, Mark, for the confusion. No, that's okay. The oldest one is a 1970 Chevrolet Chevelle SS convertible. With a 598 wow. cubic in, engine and 900 horsepower, <laughs> so it is clearly a resto mod. I'll say it, and it's in bright yellow with black stripes.
0: So I hope you had like an engine light. sound on that one.
2: So we've got we've got an engine sound on that one. So that's a 19 and, and ride. So cool. We've got the 1970 Chevelle uh, convertible. And what color? It's uh, yellow with bumblebee stripes. Hmm. Okay. So then, the next one in uh, order by year is a 1971. Just a second, there it is. I've spotted it. A 19. Now you got to kind of pay attention to this one. It's a 1971 Plymouth Superbird, number 43. So it looks identical to Mm. the Petty car by color, Mm with number 43. But remember, this is a 71, and there were no Superbirds in 71. Uh. So this is a custom build. If there was a Richard Petty <laughs> Superbird in '71, this would be this would what be it, it.
0: looks like—the
2: full-blown, okay. the full-blown full version of it. And the again, the newest car in this list is a 1982 Excalibur Fiat. Fe- oh, yeah! The eighties cars of the movie stars and a ride.
0: And so what color have, is the is the Excalibur?
2: I'm going to have you guess, and I bet you'll guess right. White. It is white, yeah. and you are right.
0: <laughs> and that has the big uh, uh, chrome uh, headers coming out of the um, the hood, right? The, the headers
2: out of the yeah. hood, the big chrome bumper, the yeah. massive horns on the outside <laughs> of the fender, the big headlights like something from the '30s. Yeah, all all of the above, and the big tires on the side of the.
0: Okay, I gotta I gotta go there. completely completely uh, crazy here.
2: Now let me mention something. Okay. Just before you guess,
0: Pierce this, Brosnan owned the Excalibur.
2: <laughs> no, there's no, no nothing like that. I will say that this is there is a clear winner. Really, of these three. They're one of one of these one of these cars has ten thousand views. The second place car has three thousand. Wow. Views, so three times, and the last car has only eighteen hundred views.
0: Okay. Well, I'm to I'm gonna. Say that the uh, Excalibur will be number one, the Chevelle will be number two, and the Replica Superbird will be number three.
2: Well, the winner of on this <laughs> one was the 900 horsepower Chevy Convertible. Really? Yeah, that okay. was the number one, which you picked as number two. Yeah. And the number two was the Superbird. Really, and number three, the the the, the loser in the group, ah. the ten time loser was the one you picked number one, which was you actually actual, gave me one.
0: those in order too. Sometimes you do that just to confuse me, but that was the actual order too. So
2: that was the actual. Order, I, the yeah. only reason I didn't, I,
0: I just don't have any love for replica cars like like the Petty thing. I mean, I don't have a lot of love for an Excalibur either, though, because it to me that's like a factory kit car, even though it is a factory car. You know, what I'm saying, but i just don't like well, those those recreations i guess well, is what i'm well, saying
2: well you know first of all i think the recreations are all based on if they're done well oh you know that I mean? too yeah sometimes you look at a recreation and you're like wow somebody i mean it, it looks like a pablo picasso statue where you're like i can't figure out where the nose is or the eyes or anything <laughs> but but uh, uh this one was really done well so um but let me mention one other thing. On our next episode of the Car Guys Report, yeah. and we do the My Car Story guessing game, all three cars in the same week, all three of them have five thousand views. Wow! So it's going to be. This is going to be like you know splitting hairs. It's gonna okay. Be, which one is going to have the lowest of the you know? Which one's going to be at five hundred twenty eight, five hundred. Excuse me, five thousand five hundred twenty-eight, five thousand two hundred twenty-one, and five thousand forty-three. Wow! So they're, they're all they're they're basically all winners, and you know that's going to be a real guessing game. What was this the attraction?
0: Actually, what was the attraction to the Chevelle? Do you think? Uh, Just the massive I think, I engine? Think
2: the, yeah, I think the five ninety-eight combined with the word nine hundred horsepower. Because oh, yeah. when you think nine hundred horsepower, you're thinking of I don't know Bugatti or. You know, I mean, you know, you heard you you were talking about the eight twelve super fast, yeah. you know, which the, the you know, and that doesn't have nine hundred horsepower. So um, a Chevelle with nine hundred horsepower for some reason. And a
0: convertible too, to... at that. But, uh, yeah. cause usually don't but, see that I... kind of power in a convertible. So I hope he reinforced the chassis because I would think that oh, would have some it, massive flex in it just from the torque.
2: Right. Well, well, to your point, this is done by Schwartz Performance. So we'll give them a little shout out here, and they have their own chassis that they. Oh, put okay, on sure. Cars. Yeah. So, so it's a it's a very structurally sound car, and and to your point, you're right. You don't usually see that, and then they you know they put a roll cage in it as well, so uh, uh, it, it strengthens up the whole body yeah. frame. So it's uh, and I'll say that the, the, speaking of that. When you're in a Schwartz Performance car that has 900 horsepower, and they put a Schwartz Performance frame on it, you feel like you're in a go kart. Oh I yeah, mean, sure. You, you know, you uh, just like a go kart has like no frame. You know, there's no rigidity. It's all you know, just you, you know, you're feeling every vibration. It feels like that.
0: Yeah. So, well, my um, um friend, not
2: a car, not a car you take from New York to California. No,
0: no, my friend who's who's <laughs> building um a neighbor yeah. actually of the car guys report warehouse uh who's building a um uh restomod a 55 uh chevy mod, yeah. and he doesn't have 900 horsepower i think he's going to have 500 or 550 something like that because he's putting an ls4 or something like that in there but he's got uh i mean there's all the i i didn't even know this really until i started talking to him a couple of years ago because the build's taking mean, probably going to take about two and a half years it's about two-thirds of the way through right now that um Yeah, you talked about the Schwartz chassis. He's got a Morrison chassis on his, which is another company that makes these— custom chassis for certain cars and the 55 yeah. Chevy is one of them and yeah they, 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 they're they totally modern they come with like the the, the modern uh, suspension and they're made to bolt in like an LS engine and they have all the, the mounts and everything for the, for the transmissions and they're not cheap I mean I think I looked I don't know what he paid for his but I, just, I was curious I had no idea how much a, a chassis just a bare chassis would cost because that's what they are they're literally a bare chassis they don't have anything on them you, get, you still got to get them like powder coated and everything and it's like 18 grand so they're not cheap but they're engineered well and, and like you said it really makes a difference in the way the the car is ultimately going to perform with the with all the new powertrain components on it so that's why people spend that kind of money for it but yeah it's an interesting kind of open my eyes to that whole world of wow when you do a rest-o-mod and you do it right there's so many little things that you have to do and i'm hoping uh And in the future, I'm not I'm not making promises because you never know how these things turn out. But at some point, I want to have him on the program when his car is done. To talk about the whole process of building, yeah. designing, and building your own resto mod. You know, he's, he's going to have six figures in this thing easy. So it's just it's a neat thing. And I just love the process. I think it's very cool. So cool. Yeah. Well, my car story with Lou, it's a great uh, YouTube channel, uh, 85,000 at least eight, subscribers.
2: Eight, almost 87 now.
0: Wow. That's great. And 1,500 plus uh, videos of very, very cool cars and a lot of stuff that you will just see nowhere else. So, check it out when you have a chance. Uh, My Car Story with Lou on YouTube. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, you can live out your cop car fantasies with a 67 Olds plus part two of the best GT cars. We'll definitely have some more discussion about that. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Mark Vernon along with Lou Kostable. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. OPI is hippo, spelled backwards, OPPIhshows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead, it just
1: moved to a better place, and that would be Radiomisfits.com. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The preceding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of OPI Productions.
2: Tony, can you shut up?
1: Listen now, unga friend unga.com We have interview with first female cavewoman. Bunguska! All that and more. Hear it here first. Unga friends.
2: RadioBunga.com. UngaBungaShows.com.
1: Good Bunga not dead. Just move better place. Radio Bunga.com. Bungushka! All right, Adam, what uh, country are you from? I am from England. What is the best soccer league in the entire world? The English Premier League. What is your day job? Director of Coaching for Illinois Youth Soccer. So if you were, say, a fan of English Premier League and you wanted to hear uh, the opinions of someone who is from England, who knows a lot of soccer, what podcast would you tell people they need to listen to free kicks with adam and rick and that's on the radio misfits podcast network free kicks a tony Lasano podcast Opie show on the radio misfits podcast network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radiomisfits.com
0: coming up on the next episode of the car guys report informed automotive you can live out your cop car dreams with a restored 67-old CHP Cruiser. Punch, are you there? Plus, it's part two of our Modern GT Cars discussion. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lozano podcast, and OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.